Welcome to Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. We're your hosts, Tim and Ruth Olson, licensed marriage and family therapists and trauma experts. We provide wisdom for personal growth and healthy relationships. Stick with us and you'll gain practical tools and insights that will help you be a healthier and happier you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. And today what we're going to be discussing is the MBTI or the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator and how to apply it to parenting or how to help you understand your child's needs Now, we're not suggesting that you give your kids this test, but based on the past episodes, just understanding the different types, you can observe your children and then be able to start to identify which types they are more likely to be. So to be able to fully understand this episode, you're going to need to go back and listen to all of the previous episodes that we've done on the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, and those will all be linked in the show notes if you need to go back. So one of the things that's very helpful is that it helps you to really be able to know their personality and what their tendencies are towards. So for example, the introverted versus extroverted category. If your child is uncomfortable around new people, you don't just want to be irritated and kind of shove them more into that situation. You want to let them kind of warm up, get to know the people more, and then they'll have a tendency to come out of their shell more. But if you don't understand that, you see one kid who's an extrovert just out there playing, having fun, and then you see another one who's a little more reserved, it's easy to discount the discomfort that that child is feeling and cause you to want to just push them forward versus recognizing, no, this is actually a need they have. They have this need to just take time and warm up to the situation. And then what you'll find is that then they can engage in a much better way afterwards. But if you make it uncomfortable for them by pressing them further than they're ready, you're going to get more and longer resistance to that. And one thing I would be careful about is using the word shy around your kids as far as explaining to other people when they meet, saying, oh, they're just shy. Or when you meet someone else's kids, saying, oh, are they kind of shy? Because I think a lot of times kids will begin to adopt that and take that on as part of their identity. And while I don't think overall saying shy is bad, but when it's used consistently to explain to other people your child, you know, children are always listening. So being careful when you talk about your children when they're right there. And I could even see that in our own child that early on, people would say that, oh, she's so shy. And after a while, she began telling people, oh, I'm just shy. And I don't want that to be something that hinders them from stepping out. And I think what you said is really good is really just understanding who they are. And like we've been talking about this whole time, it's not good or bad. It's not right or wrong. We're just different. And I think for you as a parent, watching a child who's a little bit slower to warm up can feel painful to you. But recognizing that if you want them to engage more socially, you've got to give them that time. And I know in particular, we were thinking one of our daughters was extremely shy. And we take her around and there's like bounce houses. We were at a kid's birthday party. And she was just kind of hanging out and kind of clinging to our leg and didn't want to go out and didn't want to participate in any of the fun things. And it took a couple of hours, but then after a couple of hours, she went out and enjoyed and then had fun as she got more comfortable. But we didn't make it a big deal. And then later on in other activities, she's seeming much more outgoing than other kids and even other parents identify her as outgoing. We know she still has a little bit of that tendency towards introversion. But it's not as deep or stark as it originally started off because we allowed her to kind of simmer and get used to it. And then I think it increased her confidence level later on. If I need to back off, I can. 
but then also I can engage and do things more immediately because she feels that sense of confidence that I'm not going to be forced into doing something I'm not comfortable with. And I think also recognizing that part of their development that they're in right now is that you are their safe person. You're their safe place, so they're going to cling to you. And that's not a bad thing at all. But as they get older, having conversations around this where you're still protecting and watching their boundaries, but you're also teaching and training and guiding them in social situations and knowing how to handle themselves in social settings. Now, for one of our daughters, I mentioned, we just kind of gave her the space. She got more comfortable. But that's not the only thing. Sometimes we can have experiences or negative belief systems that can make us more uncomfortable. And for one of our daughters, I think we may have talked about this in the podcast where we talked about EMDR, but she had this experience where she had listened to us talking about podcasts and doing podcasts. And so she had Ruth's phone at one point and then was recording a podcast about gardening because we had a garden at that time, but we didn't know that she was recording this. And then Ruth, I think you were just going through your phone later and then you found this video and we watched it and we loved it to death. She was super confident, just talking about it, saying everything she knew about gardening. And it was really cool to see. And so we wanted to show it off to her. And we're like, Hannah, come here. And so she came into our room and we showed her this video and she was mortified. She crawled under our covers, just started sobbing. She was wildly embarrassed and uncomfortable. And we weren't trying to embarrass her. We were trying to praise her for it. But it triggered off and identified that there's some level of negative belief that she had. And we didn't know it at the time, but this was actually hindering her comfort level in social settings. And then we did EMDR on her. We helped her process through that. And then there were several incidences after that where she just kind of came out of her shell. She was much more comfortable. Now, we would still identify her as an introvert, but the intensity of her introversion was definitely tempered after we did that. And then after that, we were definitely able to see that she had some very different tendencies and a much larger degree of confidence. Right. The very next day, we went to a birthday party. And it was amazing to me to see her the very next day be able to overcome a lot of the things socially that in the past would have caused her some fear or hesitation. And it really did just show that that negative belief was stopping her in different situations. And she was still introverted, right? She still needed time to recover from that party, but she had a blast. And so being able to look at your children and see overall, what are the tendencies? What are the preferences that they have? And how can you foster that without locking them in to that preference or without locking them into that identity, allowing them room to grow and change and being able to see if there are maybe any negative beliefs that are stopping them or hindering them. Now, on the other side of the spectrum, so we talked a little bit about the needs of introverted kids and understanding what they need. One of the things I also want to comment on that I think is important for introverted kids is this idea that they are going to need some alone time or time away. And we have a relatively large family, and so it can be difficult for the kids to have alone time. But whenever the kids say, hey, I need a break or I need some alone time, we do let the other kids know, hey, they're going to go off, they're going to have some time alone, and we want you to respect that. We don't want you to follow them around or go into their room. We want them to be able to have this time. And so we will help cordon them off so it's they get this time to kind of reduce and recharge and then feel better, and then they come and they engage when they feel ready. Yeah, and I think part of it is really recognizing as an extroverted parent, that I need to be aware of, especially my children who are introverts and my husband who's an introvert, to not overdo things and 
have so many things scheduled, even though those are such fun things for them to do. But if I do too much, they get drained. And then I begin to see them bickering a little more or maybe getting a little frustrated, a little easier. And that just really tells me that I need to slow down and I need to be able to make sure that they have enough time to recharge. And so one of my daughters loves going out with me. And if we have a weekend that's packed, you know, I give the kids options. Hey, do you want to come with me? Do you want to stay with dad? And one of my daughters will always say yes to going out. And so we just make sure that we remind her that, hey, this is a really busy weekend. We need to make sure that by Sunday, even though we're really busy and we're exhausted and tired, that we're still talking to people and treating people kindly, no matter how exhausted we are. So if that means that we need to take a nap or we need to stay home and rest and recharge, then I just need to be aware of that as their parent and help them to make decisions that will set them up for success. And I think on the other side of this is if you are an introverted parent, making sure that you recognize what are the needs of your extroverted kids. Maybe you are a homebody and you don't really want to go out, and that's fine. That's totally fine, you know, to have that time and to make sure you know what you need, but also making sure that when you go to the grocery store and you as an introvert don't really want to talk to anyone, you don't want to engage, you want to get what you need and get home, but then you have your extroverted child who's talking to the cashier and waving at people, that you really need to make space for that and be patient with them because it's easy to get frustrated and kind of just rush them along or hush them up and continue along in the way that you would want to have it done. And so at least two of our kids are definitely extroverted. And when we go out, you can just kind of see them get more energy as we're out. And so for our son, when he's talking to somebody new, he will just start talking their ear off. And he's just very excited. He wants to tell them all the things. He wants them to know all the things. He wants to make sure that they know what his favorite or interesting things are. And so he just gets this deep level of excitement from this opportunity to connect with other people. And it's very funny, too. Our daughter, who's a couple years younger than him, too, is also very extroverted. And she will just go up to people, little girls her age or around her age, and she'll just say, do you want to be my friend? And she'll, like, grab their hand and want to walk around with them. And she's just not uncomfortable going up to somebody that she doesn't know. And she's very willing to just go up and start chatting to somebody or to start trying to play with somebody. She has very little fear level of trying to connect with somebody new. And so very obviously part of this is training them on safety, right? So extroverted children that want to talk to everybody, you want to make sure there's some level of safety there with who they're talking to. And they recognize that when they're with you, that that's okay. Versus kids who are introverted have a natural built-in stranger danger sensor, (laughs) where as soon as they see a stranger, they automatically feel uncomfortable. So they're more likely to stay away. But yeah, definitely you want to watch out for those extroverted kids and give them a little bit of extra training on strangers and what's safe or what's not safe for them. So the next area, this sensing versus intuition, your children may process information in a different way. And so a funny way this comes out is one of our kids were playing a card game together and there's some cards that are flipped over. You don't know what they are and you have to choose which one to flip over and she'll hover her hand over and just kind of get a sense or a feeling for it and then flip it versus Another child, we were reviewing a brain scan with a doctor and they were present. And then in that meeting, our kid pointed out the one thing that was different on the brain scan compared to the other parts of the brain scan. And so they were using their sensing abilities to identify the difference. 
And I think an area you might see this with children who are intuitive is them being concerned more about you or just being aware of how you're feeling and knowing that your mood really can affect them. And this is for any parent, right? Any parent of any type of kid, your mood does have an effect on them. But I think especially for those who are intuitive, they are extra sensitive to that. And I think that's a great point, just understanding that how we are as parents and the mood that we are in is definitely going to affect the children. Even though our mood may not be a direct result of something that happened between us and them, they are kind of simmering in the atmosphere that your mood might be creating. And I think on the other hand, maybe having a child who is sensing and isn't as intuitive, we're looking at how their behavior is affecting someone else, which is also part of the thinking-feeling aspect, right? But if they're not aware of maybe their siblings' feelings, not making them feel bad, but instead using that as an opportunity to train them and to teach them about how their actions affect others. And what are some social cues for emotions that can kind of clue them in to that deeper picture that as sensors they're not necessarily looking at. And initially, this is for all children, right? You need to teach them what different emotions are and help them to take a minute and assess how they're feeling about different situations. So I think there's a training across the board. But as they get a little older, maybe recognizing where they're not able to see it in others as well and just training that piece of it. And the other part for the child who's more intuitive is making sure that they recognize that other people's feelings are not their responsibility and that they can maybe see or pick out that people are not feeling great and then they can feel this compulsion to try to help them with that. But you could train your child to say, listen, it's nice that you notice and you can offer support, but it's not your responsibility to help them solve that. And then also helping to educate them too is that they may be also overly responsive or overly reading into what they're perceiving that's happening and helping them to know that your intuition is a helpful thing, but it's not 100% spot on every time. And so you don't want to just take it as though it is actual fact, but that it's a good cue that can help you follow up. All right, you guys, we're going to stop there with today's episode on the Myers-Briggs and using that with parenting and with your children. And we'll continue this in the next episode, so make sure you join us there. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day. And remember, your mind is a powerful thing. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Mr. and Mrs. Therapy. If you enjoyed this podcast or found it helpful, we'd love for you to take some time and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have a question or topic you'd like discussed in future episodes, visit our Facebook group, Mr. and Mrs. Therapy Podcast, and let us know. Disclaimer, although we are mental health providers, this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to provide diagnosis or treatment. Please seek professional help if you're struggling with persistent mental health issues, chronic marital issues, or call the National Suicide Hotline at 988 if you are contemplating suicide.